Hello, my friends. Welcome back. This is Aspen Talks Health, and I am Dr. Nicola. Today, I am joined by Justin Picken. He is the founder of Move to Learn USA. He's also a certified practitioner of the Anat Baniel Method of Neuro Movement and the author of Effortless Skiing, a breakthrough system for any skier to reach the next level. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to be here. Good. Uh, so we're going to talk about the connection between the brain and healing the body, which is a subject yeah. I love. But before we dive into that, I would like to, you to share your story, because it's quite an interesting one. Well, um, I was in a, a pretty serious snowmobile accident uh, in 1995. And I broke my jaw, I broke uh, parts of my ribs, my sternum, broke my nose. I had to have some significant plastic surgery that resulted in my jaw being wired shut for eight weeks. Someone gave me uh, a series of cassette tapes that were this work that we're going to talk about today, but specifically targeted towards TMJ, temporal mandibular joint syndrome. And I did the exercises on these tapes for the next eight weeks while I was riding my wind trainer. For about two hours every day, I listened to these tapes. And there were some things I could do. There were some things that I had difficulty doing. The tape author suggested that if you couldn't do the movements that you imagine them or do them very slowly, very small, and you'll still get effective results. So because of the source of the person that gave these tapes to me, I went ahead and did these religiously, um, two hours every day. Eight weeks later, the surgeon was snipping my wires, and he was you know, cutting the wires and pulling them out and telling me how I was going to have to adjust how I ate, and I have to learn how to talk again because I hadn't been moving my jaw, he thought, uh, for the past eight weeks. So I'm nodding my head, and he finishes taking out all the wires, and then he says to me, how do you feel? And I did this. I went, hmm. I feel pretty good. And his jaw nearly hit the floor. And he said, if I didn't know that your jaw was wired shut for eight weeks, I would have said you never broke your jaw. So he asked me what I did, and I told him. And so he now prescribes these tapes as you know, standard therapy for someone who has their jaw wired shut. And it's mixed results. The people that can do it as often as I did, have very good results. The people that, that don't or don't stick to it, not as good. You know? So there was, you got to a point where you couldn't move, so you'd practice trying to move, and if, if it didn't move, you'd visualize moving. I'd visualize it. There were some things where it asked me to just move like my lower jaw in relation to my upper jaw, or the, the jaws side to side, or to move my tongue along my teeth and kind of map out the inside of my mouth. And those things kept my brain aware of how my jaw and my mouth and all the muscles connected there work. And so I didn't lose that capacity. My brain remembered it. All the nerves and all the connections stayed in place and were being used, but to a lesser extent than they would be if I was chewing or talking. Right, yeah. but those pathways didn't go away. Exactly, they were still you were, there. you were practicing it essentially in your yeah. mind. Yes. Fantastic. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more, expand on what neuro movement means. So, what happens is everything that you do, uh, the way that you're sitting, uh, the way that you come from sitting to standing, um, the, even the way you sleep, uh, for some people the way they think about things, the way they approach problems, those are um, neurological patterns that you've established through your life based on your life experience, um, what you think, what you know, even injuries that you've had, and you've adjusted to those and you've created your habits 
based on how your brain has organized your movement, your thoughts, all those things. As you grow older, you keep building more patterns on what you already know. Um, what I do is I first try and establish for the person that comes to me what their patterns of movement or their patterns of, of being, doing, organizing are, and then we can decide if those are efficient, if those are useful for them, or if it's something that they can adjust to fit a different, something they're doing in their lifestyle, or a sport that they're trying to do, or an injury they're healing from, um, or maybe they're trying to learn an instrument or something. It, it varies. There's a lot of things the brain affects. So interesting. Yeah. And the Anat Baniel? Anat Baniel, yeah. Baniel? Mm -hmm. Can you explain that one? So Anat is an Israeli, um, and she studied under a man named Moshe Feldenkrais. And um, she was the one who uh, Feldenkrais said when he died that she was going to be the future of this work. And I learned about her after I'd known a little bit more about the Feldenkrais work, and I found that she was the one I wanted to study with. So I went to California in San Rafael. I studied at her center for about four years. And, um, and then I actually subsequently helped a little bit with the training of, of future um, practitioners that came out after I did. And um, she continues to be uh, sought after and one of the foremost experts on functionally addressing the plasticity of the brain and helping people um, with uh, stroke um, recovery. Um, uh, actually, Jill Bolte-Taylor has been somebody that she's worked with extensively, and you may have heard of her because she wrote um, My Stroke of Insight. Oh, wow. And she did a really nice TED Talk on that. Um, but the idea is that your brain is plastic, um, and everything connected to your brain through your nerves is also plastic and can be changed. So just because uh, you have chronic pain or just because you haven't been able to turn your head a certain way since you were born, that doesn't mean that you won't be able to because those things can change. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and I actually end up working a lot with children who have been giving really dire um, uh, prognosis. And their parents come to me and they're pretty hopeless. And they get some hope because they see changes in their children that the doctors told them couldn't happen. Wow. Yeah. Can you give us some examples? Oh, uh, <laughs> just last month, um, someone was recommended to me by a pediatrician in Eagle Valley. And she brought her child to me, his eight-month-old child. And she told me that the therapists were trying to get her to crawl, to roll over, to sit. None of the things, these things were working. And when I first started working with her daughter, she was, she was very rigid and wouldn't move. Um, and so I, it kind of looked like play, but the first two lessons I gave her, she was sitting in her mom's lap, you know, kind of being held here. And I introduced the, the idea to this eight-month-old that her spine could move, that her hips could move, that her legs could move, and that affected her, her spine and her hips. And this was just two sessions that we did. Then they drove back to Eagle. Um, and she got in touch with me two weeks later and said that for the first time after they saw me, her daughter had rolled over. That's the kind of thing that can happen and how quickly your brain can make the changes that you need to make. Fantastic. Yeah. Wow. Who else have you helped? Oh, um, I had a friend of mine who called me the week after I finished my training and he said, I heard what you were doing. I've just been diagnosed with um, uh, a, a bulging disc in his lower back. He said, can you help me? I said, well, I'm not sure. I'll come over and see what I can do. 
So I brought my table over and I set it up and, and I gave him a lesson based on what I'd learned so far. And at that point, I was just trying everything that I knew how to do things. And he was able to sit up and stand up after the lesson for the first time without any pain. I thought, wow, this is pretty cool stuff. And so did he. So a couple days later, I called him. I said, we should probably give you another lesson. He said, OK, but my back doesn't hurt anymore. I said, all right, well, we should at least give you one more lesson and see how it goes. So I went over and gave him another lesson, kind of building on what we'd already done. And then again, he, he rolled over, sat up. He was able to hop a little bit in place, no problem. He never needed another lesson from me. Um, and I think it's due to the fact that he's very intelligent. He has a brain that functions at a very high level. If somebody has a brain that functions at a high level, it's not just physical, but it's every aspect of their life. And you're able to make those adjustments. Um, so he had uh, what I would call a miracle recovery. Not everyone does. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes it takes longer. Yeah, but they're simple movements. Huh? They are, as you've experienced, yeah. yeah. The idea is that you're not doing movements that are beyond you. You're not doing movements that cause pain. And you're exploring what you can do easily so that your brain can build a connection to that. We didn't learn how to walk by finding the hardest way possible to walk. We learned how to walk through trial and error. If something didn't work, we didn't do it anymore. Right. If we were healthy, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. So, um, would you like to do a demo? Yes, absolutely. I'll take yeah? you through a little demo here. All right. So, uh, we'll, we'll stand up and we'll walk around the back okay. of the chair. Let's grab okay. onto your mic. Okay. All right. So, to begin with, yeah. before we do the movement that's going to maybe affect some change, let's see what happens if we just get a, a base of where you are right now. Okay. So stand back from the chair a little bit, okay. maybe so the camera can see you. Yeah. Okay. And see what it feels like to just reach for the floor. You don't have to touch the floor. Okay. If you can touch it easily, go ahead. But if it's difficult, just stop before you get there. And just go as far as you can go easily. That's okay. easy. Okay. And then come back up and see what that feels like. And do it one more time so you know exactly where that baseline is. Okay. It's my hamstrings, I feel. Okay. You feel it in your hamstrings. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so that's a good idea to notice what you feel now because this is about learning. And when you learn things, in order to learn, you have to perceive a difference between the first thing and the second thing. Yeah. So this is your baseline, and yeah. we're going to see what the difference is after we do the movements. So put your hands on the chair and move away from the chair so you're actually supporting yourself through your arms. So you're actually leaning on the chair. And keep leaning on the chair throughout the whole time, okay? Okay. And now we'll do a rest where you can stop leaning on the chair, too. So now, as you're leaning on the chair, you're familiar with yoga, so you've done some cat-cow. So go ahead and do the cat and the cow, rounding your back and then allowing your back to arch. Just do it really slowly, gently. Very easy movements. Reduce the effort as much as possible. And if you feel any pain, don't go there. Don't go as far as the pain is. Okay? And now, as you round your back, start to look underneath your left arm and then come up as you do the cow and then look over your left shoulder. And then round your back and look underneath the left arm. Remember to keep leaning through your arms and then slowly arch your back and look over the left shoulder. And let's do it just one more time. Round your back and let the, the rounding of your back bring your chin down. 
and then arch your back and let the arching of your back bring your chin up. And then step away from the chair. And let's see where that baseline is now. So go ahead and reach for the floor again and see where you can go and what you yeah. feel, any differences that you notice. Definitely got deeper. It was different. Yeah. Okay, let's do a little bit more. Okay. And again, lean through your hands and round your back and then arch your back. And every time you arch, let go of your belly so you can get a nice easy arch. And then you can use your stomach muscles to round your back and pull your chin down. And then start looking underneath the right arm this time. And then over the right shoulder. And then under the right arm. And over the right shoulder. Okay. I feel my spine responding to that. Yes, like you're moving your spine and everything that's attached to your spine. So your shoulders, your yeah. shoulder blades, your, your ribs, and your hips. Hmm. So go ahead and see what it feels like now to reach. And notice where you can go now and if it's the same. And if it's different, how is it different? I, I felt it before in my hamstrings and my lower back, and this, and this time nothing in my lower back. And we didn't stretch. Yeah. And we didn't do it 20 times, so it wasn't strengthening. It was about changing the pattern that you already have. Huh. Okay. Yeah. So we nice. can talk a little bit about why that happened. Yeah, please, tell me. Okay. So because we did the movement small. Yeah. And because we did it with as little effort as possible, we caused the brain to wake up and pay attention. And that's movement with attention. When you pay attention to your movements, you're more likely to learn from them instead of doing the thing that you already know that's familiar. Mm. If you do something really fast or with lots of effort, lots of strength, you'll probably do it the way you're most familiar with already. You're not likely to do, like to jump out of the way of a speeding car with this new movement you just learned. Yeah. But when you do it slowly, when you do it gently, and you pay attention to it, then your brain starts to say, oh, this is different. And that's a new neuronal connection forming. And then we gave it some purpose, right? So every time you looked over your shoulder, you had to do something a little different with your back, with your stomach, with your hips. And then we went to the other side, and it was another little variation. Those variations are another way you get the brain to pay attention. Okay. So the slow, the reducing the effort, putting the variety into it, and really paying attention to the movements mm -hmm. caused your brain to start forming the new neural connection. And the more often you do that and maybe relate that same movement we just did to something else, maybe lying on your back you learn how to do that or something, because that's how a baby first learns how to roll over because they want to see something that's over there. Right. So the purpose of rolling over is because they want to see something. And that's what gets them to roll onto their belly, and suddenly they're surprised they're on their belly, and then they can roll back. So they've just learned how to roll. It's, it's simple, but when you start using those new neural connections, you have a new tool that you can use for everything. And so that little baby is going to learn how to not just roll onto their belly, they're going to learn how to crawl from their belly. Then they're going to learn how to sit from crawling. And then from crawling, they may get to pushing themselves up to standing. Yeah. So it puts all of the pieces in that you need to build the movements you need for the rest of your life. So wild. You only realize you need this when you get injured, I think, and then, or you're in pain. That's one way that people come to it. Um, a lot of people come to me because they have chronic pain. And I've, I've had numerous times where I'm working with someone, maybe for 
three or four different sessions or eight or nine, and suddenly we get to the point where they have just enough information that their brain goes, ah, got it. And they'll turn to me and say, what did you do? What do you mean? Mm -hmm. My pain's gone. Well, I just kept giving you the information you need. I look at what I do as sort of, I'm like the puzzle solver. If you've ever looked at a puzzle and you're looking at it, you're trying to solve it, and then someone comes around from behind you and says, oh, that goes there. And you've been looking at this, but they saw it from a different angle. Yeah. When you get enough of the pieces of the puzzle, your brain figures it out. And that's what I do is I, I know what the pieces are, and I keep giving those pieces until the brain goes, aha, got enough information, I can figure it out. Yeah. yeah. So what we just did, for example, is that something that they would practice every day on your, on your own? You could practice that. that. There's no harm in that. Um, but you don't want to just practice for the sake of repetition. You want to take that tool of being able to move your spine and put it into other things. So, for instance, if I raise my arm and I just use my arm muscles, my arm feels heavy. But if I use my back muscles, my arm just floats up. And it doesn't feel like it weighs anything, so now I can do all kinds of things with my arm. If instead I raise it with my shoulder, well, it's heavy, it's harder to do, and now I have to actually use more muscle to hold my arm up. But these muscles are strong. They yeah. can help me do th those things. So you want to take those patterns and make them useful to you as a tool. Got it. Yeah. Interesting. How can this help autistic kid children? Very good question. Um, uh, actually... Anat Banyal, my teacher, discovered in working with autistic children that it was highly effective for autistic children. And there's an approach to autism that's different. Um, in reading about autism, especially in reading from people who are autistic, what I've learned is that they are overcome with chaos, with, with too much noise, all this background stuff. And they get overwhelmed and they can't figure out what's important. The idea is how can you focus, how can you differentiate and choose what you want to pay attention to and what you don't. Yeah, filter. You gotta filter, filter out exactly. all the noise. Yeah. yeah. So when you work with someone's brain and you get them to the point where they can have a brain that can choose this is an important thing that I want to use and this is one I can let go of, the entire brain starts doing that. It's not just in movement but it relates to other things. Um, the first time I worked with an autistic child was, he was an 11-year-old little boy, and I worked with him for about three weeks. After three weeks, his parents said, we like how he's more athletic, because autism usually comes with a little bit of awkwardness, and, and we like how now he doesn't fight, he doesn't stop people from touching him, because he used to do that a lot in school. He now, he then became the kid that would go over and stop fights and be the peacemaker, which they thought was really cool. But his parents said, we especially like how his spelling is improving. I said, I said, what? <laughs> uh, I got a little nervous. So first autistic child I was working with. And I, I called up a knot and I said, what's going on? She said, don't worry. This is part of the brain waking up and the brain performing at a higher level in all areas. So it's not just movement that organizes. It's everything that the brain has governance over. So anything the brain does, it does better. Wow. So I call it spillover, and I tell people to uh, expect spillover now. Um, as a matter of fact, the first, if you're, the first time I used anything like this work was when I was teaching skiing, and I thought, it seems like this would help people move better. So I had a long-term client that was very open, 
and we rode up the chairlift together. And I said, I want to just try some stuff with you. So it was like a seven-minute chairlift ride. It was a long one over in Vail, I remember. And we got off at the top after we'd done these kind of movements. But we were sitting the whole time, and it was some of this and some of this. And she got off the chair, and instantly, she was skiing in a different place on her skis. She was actually able to stay balanced as her skis moved instead of losing her balance. She was able to move with them. And her skiing improved over the next four days quite a bit. Um, so she wrote to me about two weeks later. She got back to New York, and she'd run a marathon. And she wrote to me that she thought she ran a better marathon. She got a personal best because of what she learned about how to organize her head relative to her hips from what I showed her on that chairlift ride. Wow. So spillover happens in unexpected places yeah. that I never know. Is that how your book, Effortless Skiing, came about? Well, <laughs> I started using those ideas quite a bit more with a lot of other clients because they're so successful. And over about five or six years, they kept on saying, you should write a book, you should write a book. So finally, I, I did write the book, and I said, I wrote the book, and they said, what'd you call it? And I told them the title, and they said, that's a terrible title. It was huh. an awful, and then they came back to me the next chairlift ride, and they said, you should call it Effortless Skiing, because that's how we feel when we ski with you. So that's a pretty good title. I'll take that. I like it. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Do you have any um, other thoughts that you'd like to share with the audience? Um, well, just that this is a, a gift that Anat has given to me, and I want to give it to as many people as I can. There, there are so many ways that people can benefit from this work, and it's not just pain. Um, I had an 83-year-old woman that came to me. She was an artist, and she had a sore elbow from painting. Well, that sore elbow was gone. Well, not gone. The pain disappeared um, in a matter of two weeks. It was gone. But she kept coming to me for over three years, and she drove about an hour and a half to see me. And I said, why do you do this? She said, well, because all my friends are saying, you're getting younger, what are you doing? So she started sending me her friends. She was running upstairs. She was able to pop out of bed in the morning. She wasn't creaking. She, she felt wonderful. It was making her younger to feel good about moving. Wow. When you like moving, you move more. So she started hiking more. It was, it was really wonderful, yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. I love that. So there's, there's so many different uh, ways that people can benefit from this, and it's, it's not hard. No. Yeah. No, as we just demoed, it's, yeah. it's actually quite simple. It's very easy to do. But it's getting you in touch again with the, the subtlety yeah. of movements, right? And, and imagine if you're somebody who has had pain for a long time, or you're just getting old, you don't want to move, or you're a, a baby who, because of maybe a stroke at birth, you weren't able to learn to move, and then this world is opened up to you. And suddenly, everything can blossom. Your brain gets much higher functioning, and all of the things that were impossible for you become possible. And then instead of becoming just possible, they actually become easy. So. Fantastic. Yeah. I love it. So you can help people with injuries. Uh, is that uh, skiing, obviously, autism, mm -hmm. um, any kind of pain anywhere in the body? Is that? Um, well, you know, it depends what the pain is caused by. If it's structural pain, and it's something that we can change the way you're organizing your movement so that it's no longer painful to move, that can help, obviously. Yeah. Um, interesting studies recently have shown that most pain, about 90% of it, is pain that's created as a story to tell you that what you're doing is dangerous. And it may be dangerous because in the past it's, it's 
felt like you know you were gonna twist your ankle and fall off a curb so you create pain so you don't twist your ankle any further mm. um, but if you have a really mobile spine and your hips move easily and all of your joints are easy to move then you step off that curb and instead of getting to that place where you get pain everything moves to adjust and you balance and go on and so what I believe is most of the people who achieve very high uh, rankings or, or results. great results in yeah. physical pursuits like dance or um, you know any any high athletic um, achievement, they already have or have acquired this ability to move things to adjust as life presents some obstacles. Those of us that get injured, we get injured because when there's an obstacle, it meets an immovable force, which is us stopping our movement. When we let ourselves move, we can flow with it. So interesting. Yeah. I love it. How can people find you? Um, my, my website is uh, movetolearnusa.com, and you can reach me at my email, which is justin at movetolearnusa.com. Okay. And uh, Otherwise, I have an office in Basalt. Nice. Yeah. Wonderful. Such a pleasure to learn about this because it, it's an interesting system. Yeah. You, you, you think you want to grind your way to recovery, and, and it's quite the opposite. It's a different approach. Um, and I found, I used to teach yoga, and I found that I actually became more flexible from doing this work than I did by pushing and stretching and really working hard in yoga. Um, and hmm. Anat calls it Jewish yoga because <laughs> she's, she's Israeli. And she says it's a very lazy way to do yoga because you're, you're just kind of falling into what's easy for you. Hmm. Yeah. So. And it's interesting. When we did the demo in your office, you, you had me stop where I felt pain and then visualize the rest of the way. I like that, that part as well. And the more clearly you visualize putting colors, textures, tastes, sounds, anything that connects that memory or that learning to your brain, that's going to help a stronger neural connection. Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you, Justin. Such You're a pleasure welcome. to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. It was great. Thank you. Thank you guys for tuning in. As always, you can check out AspenTalksHealth.com for all of Justin's contact information and uh, to check out some other shows. All right. Thanks for tuning in.